When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in to Gotta Watch the Tape, your new Cleveland Browns podcast from Cleveland.com. Get ready, strap in. Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, a new complimentary podcast on the Orange and Brown Talk feed. We are going to do this twice a week. That's the plan. It's week, what week is it in the NFL season? Week three, the Browns are one and one. They're practically in first place. We are going to dive in twice a week. Scott Pasco, Ellis Williams, we're going to do two big subjects in each hour-long podcast where we dive into film, we dive into analytics, we dive into something very specific affecting the Browns. And what Ellis and Scott are going to do is be smart. What I am going to do is yell, and we're going to have a good time. Scott, this was your idea. Why are we doing this? Don't we have enough podcasts in this company? We never have enough podcasts. What are you talking about? I think, uh, you know, we have intelligent Browns fans, and I think that they could uh, they can handle a little more Browns coverage than what we've given them in the past. I think uh, the, the podcast format is a great way to kind of show them a different way of looking at the game maybe. You know, we call it Gotta Watch the Tape because you kind of have to do that to really understand what you just saw a lot of times with the Browns. And uh, by doing that and kind of giving people a, a look into what we're writing about each week and, and talking about it, I think uh, everybody's a little smarter and everybody is a little more informed going into the next week. Ellis, you're, uh, you're the film guy. Why, why are you part of this project? Was it, did, you, did we just like rope you in against your will or were you excited to do this? Yeah, I'm so bored. There's just nothing to do. I mean, we're week through the NFL season. There's nothing to do with my time other than hop on another podcast. No, I think Scott uh, said a lot of the right things there. Got to watch the tape. Says exactly what it needs to say. There's only so much of the game you see on the broadcast. And then there's only so much you can learn by looking at the box score or even just checking out PFF grades. You need to sit down, spend time watching the tape, seeing why things are happening. It, it's, it unfolds right in front of our eyes. And then we're the ones who will first write about it, consume it, and then come on this podcast and talk to you guys about what we're seeing. So it's a fun project, and I'm excited to get going with you too. So I will say, just for people who are, are loyal listeners, and this is in your feed, this is going to just pop right into your Orange and Brown Talk feed. We will try to differentiate it with the headline each week so you know it's the Gotta Watch the Tape edition of the podcast. But just to warn you ahead of time, I am loud. So if you listen to Buckeye Talk, you sort of know what I'm doing. I still feel like, I mean, I'm on Orange and Brown Talk every now and then, and I jump in. And I do scare people away sometimes. I've read the comments on the Orange and Brown Talk uh, Apple podcast feed, and I know that some people don't like me. But get past your disdain for the shouting guy and stick around for two smart guys who are going to dive in on football. That's, what the, that's the main chunk of this. It is not shouting. It is smart football talk with a little bit of shouting. And we're going to start, we'll rotate, I think, each week who gets to start. But since Scott invented the podcast, Scott gets to go first. Scott and Ellis will each get a half-hour block to dive in on anything they want to dive in on related to the Browns. Scott, let's do this on Gotta Watch the Tape. What is the debut dive for Scott Patsko that you want to talk about and dive in about the Cleveland Browns? Well, if anybody's watched both games you realize the Browns have an issue in the secondary, an issue covering pretty much everybody. But I want to boil that down a little bit and talk uh, particularly about linebackers and safeties as they pertain to the tight end. This has been an issue for maybe five years now, Browns and tight end coverage. Uh, From 2016 to 2018, they were in the top four in the league for most tight end catches allowed, most targets, most yards. Uh, They were often in the top five or six in touchdowns allowed. They fell to the bottom middle of the pack last year for reasons that I am still researching and still kind of boggled by, but they're back at the top now through two games, 18 catches by tight ends, 24 targets. It leads the league. Um, They've let in uh, three touchdowns by tight ends. So it's an issue that's kind of cropping back up. 
And we knew going into the season that linebackers and safeties were kind of a question mark with the Browns. And it's kind of come to fruition uh, when you look at the players that they've had covering tight ends. Uh, 11 of the 36 first downs by opponents this year have come to tight ends. Three of the six tight touchdowns against the Browns have come against tight ends. The Bengals, surprisingly, are the only team in the last five years who've been this bad. It's pretty much been the Browns and the Bengals in the top five together. But the Browns are kind of there by themselves this year. I know you don't need data necessarily to prove drive this point home. But I'm going to give you some numbers here. Andrew Sandejo, Sione Takitaki, B.J. Goodson, three guys who are going to be covering tight ends this year. The three worst coverage grades from pro football focus are for those three guys. B.J. Goodson is dead last. Can, can I interrupt here? Can I interrupt here for a second? Yeah. You are bumming me out, man. Are people going to listen to this? Shouldn't we be doing like OBJ or something? Can't we dive in on the numbers of why Odell's going to have like six touchdown catches this week? Scott, yeah, if, you, Anderson, if you want good news, this might not be the podcast for you because we're going to tell you why things are bad. No, that's it's not 2016. It's not the Hugh Jackson wanted us to watch the tape to reaffirm how awful his teams were. Okay, mm. um, I don't, I don't mean it. I don't actually mean it. And and some week I'll make you guys do a Baker breakdown or something. But but I, I'm I'm very curious to see where you're going to take us on this because I have an answer ready, possibly, when you get to the end of your presentation, which I find intriguing. But I tell you, I have my answer holstered, so continue. Okay. Uh, well, like I said, Sandejo, Taki Taki, and BJ Goodson, three really bad pro football focus coverage grades right at the bottom. They're not even at replacement level, which is – up in the, in the fifties, they're, they're below that. So uh, we're not, like I said, we're not going to count Ronnie Harrison because he's been on the field for eight snaps. And in those eight snaps, he's crammed in a lot of bad, but again, it's only been eight snaps. We might see more of him uh, in the coming weeks. So you have three guys who have had, who had this issue. The problem with the Browns linebackers is they're each good at a specific thing. BJ Goodson is a good tackler, but he's not good in coverage and he's never been asked to cover a lot. He has his, his season high in cover snaps is 219. He's on pace for 680 this year. That's more than he's, he's ever had to do. He played every snap against the Bengals. He's done that once before in his career. He's played more than 80% of the snaps four times. So this is a guy who's going to be on the field a lot for the Browns, who hasn't had to do that a lot for other teams. Still not sure what the Browns saw in him in order to want him to have that role. But keep in mind, they thought he'd be next to Mac Wilson, who would be able to do a lot of the things that he can't. Can I, make a, can I make a layman's point? Because I'm going to be the layman on this podcast. He looks like he's wearing bricks on his feet. Right? I mean, like, Ellis, you and I were talking about this the other day. I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but that is not a very athletic dude out in space watching a linebacker play, right? No, and we saw this coming. Uh, Scott laid it out with the, the data there, and, and the tape shows it too. Um, the 49ers were able to abuse him the NFC Championship game last year. And then just think about the um, Joe Burrow's first Vegas backdoor cover Thursday night for uh, the Bengals to only lose by five rather than um, the six they needed for the Browns to cover. Uh, Tyler Boyd was got right behind the Browns backers. It was not even much of a route. They just were trying to get something at the line of scrimmage, wiggle, and then he drifted behind B.J. Goodson and the eyes don't move as fast as his feet and – he was not there to cover it. So it is, um, Scott, these, these data points are astounding. To hear that he's on pace to be on the field that much on, um, on passing downs, the fact he isn't coming out the field compared to how he was deployed in the rest of prior to coming to Cleveland says one of two things. Either the Browns are in this situation and did not plan to be, and they're just making the most of it and buying time till guys like Mac Wilson gets back, or it was a misevaluation of B.J. Goodson's talents and perhaps his offseason. Because one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm not here just to say that guys have bricks on their feet, but B.J. Goodson's B.J. Goodson. B.J. Goodson's not going to turn into Luke Kuechly overnight. I mean, like, that's – the Browns picked him to come here. So any criticism that I or anyone else is going to throw at B.J. Goodson, he is who he is. It's the criticism of the Browns to put him in this spot. And, Scott, you are making a case that maybe this dude should not be put in this position at least this many snaps each week. Yeah, and, and I mean, in the Browns' defense, they don't have a lot of options right now. Again, they were, they were counting on Mac Wilson being on the field and probably getting Jacob Phillips up to speed to be a, 
a major contributor at some point in this season. I'm not saying that Goodson is going, was going to be kind of filler until those guys, you know, were where they wanted to be, but having Goodson in this position is just something that hasn't been done. Uh, he, I mean, 85 coverage snaps so far this season. He's, there are, let's see, there are a dozen, there are 14 players with at least 15 targets in pass coverage this year. B.J. Goodson is one of three non-cornerbacks on that list. He leads the Browns in targets against 16. So, he leads the Browns in receptions allowed 12. So they're picking on him. That's what it, I mean, again, it's not that Goodson is lining up against tight ends and following them off the, off the line. It's basically people are coming into his zone and, and they're making plays and he's not, he's not defending them. So, so let's be problem solvers on this podcast, not just problem pointer outers. Because um, that's what sports writers like to be. I mean, I, I've been doing this for 25 years. I haven't solved anything yet. Mostly I just say, what is wrong with you? Ellis, is there an answer? Is there an answer? Okay, Scott, you have, you have established the idea that B.J. Goodson is not good in coverage. Can the Browns fix that between now and when they go to the Super Bowl. See, we're going to drop in some positive vibes in this podcast. But is there, is there an answer on this roster? Or honestly, is there an answer that they could find out there the way they found Rodney Harrison for a fifth-round pick? Is that, can that kind of thing happen during a season? Or, or what is a solution, and how much is a, health, a healthy Mac Wilson potentially par, a partial solution here? I wouldn't count on Mac Wilson being the solution right off the bat. Let's remember he had a rough rookie season. He showed up great in coverage in training camp and in the preseason last year, and that really didn't carry over at all except for the Cardinals game when he had an interception. So he, he's trying to build off the experience he got. He's not coming into – he's not coming back to, to the lineup as somebody who's proven in the NFL that he can be great in coverage yet. He's still trying to get there. I think – a more likely scenario, at least going into this week, is we see more Malcolm Smith. Um, that's one thing that seemed to happen against the Bengals. It didn't take Goodson off the field, but it took Taki Taki off the field, who is another uh, linebacker who really struggles in coverage. Uh, first, first week, uh, Taki Taki uh, led the linebackers in snaps uh, against the Bengals. He pretty much shared everything with, uh, with Malcolm Smith. There was a play in the second quarter uh, – Joe Mixon kind of curled out of the backfield uh, right around the offensive line and put a juke on Taki Taki, turned around, catches the ball, avoids Taki Taki's tackle, gains 18 yards, the Bengals scored on the next play. You didn't see Taki Taki again until late in the third quarter when the Browns were having that goal line stand. He had a big uh, – he had a tackle for loss. I think it was on Mixon with Carl Joseph. But that was like a big gap there where you didn't see him. You saw a lot of Malcolm Smith out there who is lighter, who is quicker. And uh, it's just better in coverage. So I think he might be maybe option number one, get more Malcolm Smith on the field and, and try to stem the tide. All right. So let's do this. So, so we're, this is, have you guys noticed this? There's this stuff happening where like sports writers are getting hired by teams. I've noticed a couple times in the last week, I think some NBA, like, you know, like NBA teams are hiring like draft, draft yeah. evaluate, like, like re recruiting guys to yeah, come work in their front office. So, I mean, I just would like to say, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. When I was writing all that stuff about like how Sashi was a genius and everything, I was just trying to get a job, man. I mean, like, can I, can you throw a bone to a guy who actually doesn't know anything? So Ellis, make, we're going to make you the GM. And then Scott, you can come in and, you know, be the president of football operations over top of him. Cause you're older. Ellis is like what? 24 Ellis week 10, the Browns are eight and two tied for the one seed in the AFC. You got to pander to the audience if you're going to really going positive here. Yeah. I mean, listen, what, what, are, what are we here to do on Ohio state's podcast? I'm like negative all the time because everybody else panders here. I think I, we might need a little pandering Ellis. We've talked a lot, right? Didn't we talk about the whole preseason? Oh, they're only going to play two linebackers, whatever, you know, you play dime a lot or nickel or whatever. Who should be the two linebackers that get the most snaps in week 10 for the Browns this year? Yeah. I love the question. And it, it framing it that way, is the reason in the preseason I landed on the idea that Jacob Phillips was going to be a starting linebacker for this team. It also speaks volumes to the type of defensive player, specifically linebackers and for focusing there now that Andrew Barry Brown's GM and this organization will target going forward. 
They want length. They want athleticism. They want guys that can cover sideline to sideline. AJ Goodson and Sony Takitaki are the exact opposite of those players. They make great plays in the run game. They can get downhill. They can fill holes. But when it comes to coverage, Scott's exactly right about that angle route. Joe Mixon ran on the Browns on Thursday in that's exactly what teams are going to keep doing. The Niners did it again to BJ Goodson and they're, they're strangely molds of each other in a way that when you isolate them in space, they have no ability of reacting and then twitching fast enough to keep up with a running back on an option route because there though Mixon breaks inside and probably knew he was going inside that's set up like an option route. He runs it around the numbers right outside the line of scrimmage so that he can either break left or break right. Taki Taki has no idea. So where I'm going with this is those two cannot remain on the field in passing downs or they're going to keep getting exposed. Kevin Stefanski, Joe Woods, they know this. So with Mac Wilson and Jacob Phillips, those are the prototype of a linebacker. I see the Browns wanting on the field come say week 10 when in Doug's world, they're eight and two or for this hypothetical, I say, I won't throw that on you, Doug. Uh, because that eliminates the options on second and manageable third and short when the entire playbook is available like it was for the Bengals on that play Taki Taki BJ Goodson get exposed now that leads to something we're probably gonna get to later but it just as important as who those linebackers are the Browns need to figure out who the nickel corner or box safety is around them these pieces are all connected and unfortunately for the Browns they're so injured that all the options they have out there are essentially unathletic enough to stay in front of these crafty and shiftier slot receivers or running backs in space. So let's talk about the elephant in the room who now plays in Jacksonville. So we have not, he who shall not be named, Joe Schobert has not yet been mentioned. But all we talked about while Joe Schobert was in Cleveland was he's a great coverage linebacker, but he can't tackle, right? Now we're talking about, oh, they got linebackers who can tackle, but they can't cover anybody. Scott, I mean, I, I know, and you look at this as much as anybody. When you look at roster allocation and salary cap management and how they're going to pay guys and all this stuff. We know Joe Schobert was a good player. I think we all realize that maybe if Andrew Barry had had the job a year earlier and could have negotiated with Schobert last year while he was still here, would, I mean, maybe Schobert would be here, but once he got on the open market, they weren't going to go to his number. Was that a mistake with what you are describing? The Browns can't have linebackers who can't cover anybody and they just let a good cover linebacker go, was that a mistake? Well, looking at it now, you're going to say yes. But Schobert was kind of up and down here. His 2018, best co- like stat-wise, best coverage linebacker in the league. The Browns were second in, in receptions for tight ends. So it isn't – again, we're, we're kind of – we're all over the linebackers right now, but clearly it's not – that's not the only issue here when it comes to covering those people. But – yeah, I think you have Schobert in this in the middle of this defense. Uh, he's he's a better option, I think, from our standpoint, from the outside, it makes total sense. But it doesn't seem like the Browns have the same kind of value on linebackers that those of us on the outside seem to have. Um, Just to be clear, I have no value on linebackers. I would play pay every linebacker on my roster minimum wage and tell them if they didn't like it, I'm going to go get somebody off the scrap heap. But continue. Yeah. So it just, it feels like they kind of got put into a corner a bit and, and they ended up with BJ Goodson and, and a bunch of young guys who are trying to figure things out. Um, you can almost say the same thing about safety. I don't believe they ended up with what they you know initially wanted at that position, but that's what they have. And they kind of have to work with it. I think what Ellis has said about wanting guys who can be kind of these hybrid being able to move in different positions and do multiple things is what they want, but instead they have linebackers who are good at one thing. And those one, that one thing is different, you know, for each guy. So during this long off season, um, I feel like this was whenever I'd be on Les Levine or whenever drop on the podcast or whatever, I felt like this was like the number one question that came up. What do you think of the linebackers? And my answer, and we're going to get to, here's my official analysis. Welcome to Scott's deep dive on God of watch the tape. Here's my answer to Scott's first presentation. Who cares? <laughs> you knew the linebackers were going to suck. Is this going to cost them games? This was a strategy. In 2018, their linebacker spending was 13th 
in the NFL. In 2019, their linebacker spending was 21st in the NFL. This is by overthecap.com. This season, their linebacker spending is 29th in the NFL. They said, we're not paying anybody. We let Joe Schobert go. We're not paying anybody. We're paying Jack Conklin. That's how I keep thinking of it, and maybe that's wrong. But I feel like they traded Joe Schobert for Jack Conklin. I'll take Jack Conklin. I'll live with this. I can't live. Even though Chris Hubbard – you know what? I'm actually – torn by that because like Chris Hubbard played pretty well on Thursday. And that makes me think, did they actually not need Jack Conklin? But anyway, I could not live with another year of Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard being the tackles. You had to fix that. So cheap out somewhere else. I would cheap out at linebacker. So this is fascinating. Will it cost them games? Scott, will this cost now they almost lost to a rookie quarterback because Joe Burrow is picking them apart by throwing the tight ends, moving down the field. Joe Burrow is going to be pretty stinking good. And Lamar Jackson's the MVP and Mark Andrews is as good as any tight end in the league, not named Killer or Kelsey. Most weeks, will this lose them games? Because again, I'd rather have crappy linebackers and Denzel Ward locking down a number one receiver than great coverage linebackers and no corners and wide receivers beating me deep. How They're bad at it, but what's, what's going to be the result of them being bad at it, Scott? I don't know. We have to wait and see. Maybe they believe that having adequate or maybe close to adequate play at linebacker allows them to overcome, you know, that having people around them allows them to overcome that. I think some of this is a bit warped because, you know, Burrow threw the ball 61 freaking times, but it's clear that there is room in the middle of this defense to get things done. The Browns have an issue at slot receiver. That's going to get solved here pretty quickly when Kevin Johnson shows up and Tavier Thomas goes back to being a special teams guy and you're going to have Greedy Williams on the outside who you have to assume is going to have play at a higher level than Terrence Mitchell. The fact that they've inked him as a, as a starter and he beat out Mitchell last year. So you have an upgrade, a cornerback, you have decent cornerback play. That's probably the one thing in the secondary that hasn't been awful. So if you have that and you get Ronnie Harrison up to speed at safety, and you allow him to be on the field more instead of, again, Tavier Thomas being that third, that third uh, secondary guy, then the linebackers, maybe there isn't as much responsibility on him. That's something that's going to play out as we go through the next couple of weeks. But I do believe with what Ellis said, I don't think you're going to see Goodson and Taki Taki as the duo uh, you know, after that bye week in the middle of the year. I think you're going to see a different rotation and other guys, uh, probably Wilson, Jacob Phillips, maybe Malcolm Smith getting a majority of those snaps. I'm always a little confused when we talk about injuries because, I mean, again, you just named us like, oh, their pass coverage has been bad. How can they fix it? It's like, well, they're going to get Greedy Williams back. They're going to get Mac Wilson back. They're going to get Kevin Johnson back. And Ronnie Harrison's going to get more experience. So they're going to start playing four different guys than who they've played so far. But injuries happen everywhere. So I am always not sure how much to give the Browns an out when it's like, well, you know, Greedy got hurt, and Mac Wilson got hurt, and Kevin Johnson got hurt, and that was your plan. What are you going to do? Tavier Thomas should not be on the field covering anybody in the NFL. No offense, Tavier Thomas. He was put in an untenable situation. That's a problem. The problem's getting fixed. Ellis, when we talk about the Browns' depth, should they have been able to look a little better in pass coverage despite these injuries? for the first two weeks? Or is it very reasonable of like, man, you take three guys you're counting on, and we're not even talking about Grant Delpit. That's five guys. I mean, Ronnie Harrison's it's Grant Delpit replacement, basically. But anyway, that's four spots where you had injuries greatly affecting your plan. How much of this is an injury excuse and how much is like, listen, man, as the NFL guys get hurt, you got to be better than this. Right. Well, there's – in the most simple way of roster development, there's really two ways to – build or improve a unit you draft or you sign okay you can go out and trade but now you're exchanging assets and uh that tends to be you you, you give and you take through the draft that's what the browns did to try and build up this linebacker room in a guy like jacob phillips who we already talked about clearly is going to be developing as we go forward but have has not had the opportunity nor the health to be out there and prove himself. And that's what we're coming up against here because the same now is being said about Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson is switching defenses from a Steve Wilkes system to a Joe Woods system and has missed both 
training camp due to the shortened time and now an injury. Now, of course, the Browns dodgeable with him coming back. He's practicing today on Monday, and he should be good to go going forward. But between him, Phillips, and you mentioned Grant Delpit, that's where the injuries become such a concern. You're missing out on valuable snaps to evaluate these players because Andrew Barry is saying it so crystal clear that the role of a GM is to both be in present but have a foot in the future. And you can't do that when you're missing out on reps. So, so secondly, and then in free agency, you get what you pay for. When your one free agent signing is B.J. Goodson and you mentioned how they're 29th in spending at linebacker, Again, you get what you pay for. So if your draft picks aren't available to play and you're spending so bare minimum in free agency, this is as to be expected. There really was not much once you put this group of players on the field that you can expect them to do because Tavier Thomas isn't going to keep up with Willie Sneed or Hollywood Brown or Tyler Boyd. And B.J. Goodson has proven over his four or five-year career that he has no business defending running backs, tight ends, or slot receivers. So when your draft picks aren't available to play and your depth behind those draft picks are bottom-of-the-barrel free agents, there's no surprise we're here. So here's, so here's a question I want to finish up on this, and we're going to get into Ellis's deep dive, which is about the rushing attack for the Cleveland Browns. Scott, I, I've been saying a, a lot along the way, I mean, again, just to be clear on this podcast, nothing I say is original or interesting. I'm just parroting what other smarter people say. So I just, that's a blanket thing right now, just to make sure people know where I'm coming from. Smart people say, so they're gonna, the Browns, as they move forward, are going to have some stars. But I, I've said, well, th- who's, their, who's their safety going to be next year? Who's their linebacker going to be? It's going to be Andrew Barry, free agent X. And you've got to have some faith that Andrew Barry is going to be able to mine sort of the bottom, ha- bottom third of NFL talent to figure out which guy to sign for a couple million bucks while they're putting their resources somewhere else. So I want to ask you a final question, twofold question, Scott. A, do you believe that being 29th in linebacker spending is too far in that direction? Like, is that a fundamental flaw? And you think they got to put a little more capital into this position and B does this raise any doubts to you about Andrew Barry's ability? And listen, it's early, but come on, we're here to criticize people. That's what podcasts do. Andrew Barry's ability to pick random free agent X because he picked BJ Goodson to do a thing that he doesn't seem particularly prepared or able to do. One of these days, I'm going to give you my criticism on two part questions, but I'll save it. I'll save it for for another podcast. The first one, uh, the 29th in spending, I think that's going to be determined by the linebackers who are getting the most reps by the end of the season. You know, if Mac Wilson, uh, who, again, is you know, still on his rookie deal, and, and Jacob Phillips are, are, are getting the bulk of the reps, then, uh, you know, clearly that, that's all right because you got two guys who are on their rookie deal. And if you want to – if they're playing well enough to, to earn an extension or whatever, then you deal with that and you'll, you know, you'll move up. But I think right now that's, that's kind of a, a wait, a wait to, be, to be seen. As far as Andrew Barry's ability to, to, to bring in people, no, because I don't believe you can fix everything in one season. And he did, a, he did a heck of a job on the offensive side of the ball. And he has obviously extensions to, you know, you got to Miles Garrett, you got Denzel Ward, and uh, he did address the defensive front with uh, Andrew Billing. So I don't, it doesn't knock him down at all for me. Um, it's just unfortunate this is where they are. Obviously, injuries play a lot into it. You know, if you go, if you start off this season with Mac Wilson healthy and Grant Delpit healthy, maybe we're not talking about this. Um, but they're both hurt, and and we are. All right. Yeah, so, let, let, me, let me add something real quick there. One thing we got to keep in mind too is giving Andrew Barry the time to draft this roster out how he so chooses. Um, think of guys like Sheldrick Redwine and who we've been talking about at length, Sony Taki Taki. Their snap counts are going to slowly disappear, if not completely evaporate as the year goes on. And that's a complete indication that this organization, this regime doesn't want a whole lot to do with them. So, you know, in two or three years, replacing those names who are backups, who are now put in places to start, if you could replace them with people Barry wanted to draft who he knew would fit the system already, we'd be talking about a higher drafted Barry asset with a lower drafted Barry backup, which will probably look better than placing 
players who weren't a part of this regime and who Barry inherited rather than replacing them with a free agent or two. He's going to draft this team and not try to scrape the bottom of the barrel with, with free agents going forward is how I, I envision him building this roster. Hey, do you guys mind just real quick? Again, it's a debut episode. We're going to try to kind of on the fly, maybe adjust some things. Do you mind if instead of doing Ellis, your plan thing in the second half, we just do a whole thing about how John Dorsey sucked at drafting? Cause you, that, I mean, you're kind of taking us there and I know Nick Chubb, right? Great. Nick Chubb. I was going to say, Hey, Nick Chubb though. One Nick for 15. I, well, I mean, I don't know. Denzel. Maybe that'll be, maybe I'll save that for my topic one week, one week. We'll, we'll see if we go. Scott, this is your dive. Is there anything you want to add that you want to make a final point that maybe we didn't cover about the Browns covering tight ends? Um, well, there's one more point I want to make about Goodson. Cause I think maybe it kind of puts the whole thing in, into a, a clearer picture here. He was traded by the Giants to the Packers last year. Uh, initially, initially, the Giants waived him, but before it became official, they, they, they found a trade partner. They swapped seventh round picks. He was on his way out there. He lost his starting job. The guy who was taking over his first team reps for the Giants was Tay Davis, who is on this roster right now. Tay Davis was waived like four games in the season. The Browns picked him up last year. So you have two guys who were here, both getting first – team reps together and the guy who pushed Goodson out in New York it can't get on the field now he's had 11 snaps all year Goodson meanwhile is playing you know 83 percent of the snaps so far this year it's just a weird a weird connection and I think it makes me wonder why what happened to Tay Davis because he was the first guy up when Mac Wilson went down in camp he was getting all the first team reps in that spot and now now he's kind of like the odd man out we will maybe he's the answer and we just don't know it but probably not. We welcome anybody from the Browns organization who would like to listen to this podcast. But I would just say, if any of them are listening right now, I'm worried that BJ Goodson is going to get benched because Scott, you took that dive deep, baby. And now we're, we're going to, that's why we're here. I, that's not going to be a catchphrase on here. Is it? I mean, we got to get, I mean, I, I'm going to keep working out catchphrases on the fly. We need t-shirts too. We need some merch. Next hundred episodes of this thing. You know, we got to get Hugh on. We got to get, Hugh, we need Hugh to come on and record our opening by simply just saying, got to watch the tape about 20 times. I'll work on that. I'll see if I can get his number. All right, listen, we're going to take a quick break on got to watch the tape, and then we're going to come back with an Ellis Williams deep dive on the Browns rushing attack. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for making uh, this new podcast part of your rotation. Just get subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk feed, and we'll just be popping in there twice a week. That's the plan. Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. We'll be right back after this. All right, back on Gotta Watch the Tape. Ellis Williams, take a deep dive. Where are you taking us in the second half of our debut episode? All right, so to understand why the Browns' only hope of making the 2020 playoffs is by uh, attempting to lead the NFL in rushing attempts, that we're, we'll, I'll probably talk about why them leading the league in rushing attempts isn't possible due to their quarterback situation, and you guys can probably infer what that means, but – Let's travel back to early August before any of us knew what Kevin Stefanski's offense was going to be. You know, six weeks ago when it was a known fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars were tanking for Trevor Lawrence and that the Big Ten wasn't going to play football in the fall, you know, six weeks ago. Completely different time, right? Different time. Oh, the glory days. No, go ahead. Yeah, right. Early August. I missed it already. But, no, I was sitting around thinking about the Browns offense. Sadly, uh, not a whole lot going on in Crocker Park. That's what I spent a lot of my time doing, thinking about this Browns offense. And I was trying to envision what the best version of what a first-year head coach-led team would look like and how that best version of itself can manifest on the field, considering everything Kevin Stefanski's had to deal with with the short and offseason and whatnot. And that brings me to a question that I often ask myself when I think about offensive football in the NFL in general. If I were to play as the Browns in Madden, how would I utilize their offensive players to maximize such talent? So winning a game of Madden is a lot like playoff NBA basketball. Putting the ball in your best player's hands increases your chances of victory. So I looked at the Browns roster and found three players that I deemed worthy of having the ball in their hands a lot. Kareem Hunt, Odell Beckham Jr., and Nick Chubb. Anyone that knows me would know that when I play Madden, I'd love to throw it to Odell Beckham Jr., who doesn't. But so did Freddie Kitchens last year, and we all saw what that became. Just hucking it deep to Odell and a plethora of other receivers, even when the other one is Jarvis Landry, doesn't win NFL football games, though it can be effective in Madden. 
So with 2019 in mind, I thought it'd be silly to have an offense focus around Odell Beckham Jr. And thus the Browns' two best players became very clearly Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I wondered another question. When was the last time an offense with two running backs have been successful? That simple. That's when the research started. The quick answer is not often. Now, I think that has a lot more to do with how rare it is for a team to roster talents such as Kareem Hub and Nick Chubb. I know you're reminded of this often, but it cannot be understated that Kareem Hunt once led the NFL in rushing, looked like the focal point and driving force behind a Chiefs offense that was quarterbacked by Alex Smith when he made that debut, what, three years ago now? Uh, now the offense in Kansas City is completely different with Pat Mahomes, but that Alex Smith team on Thursday night football with Kareem Hunt had him running all over the field, going down the seam, catching balls, and he looked like the, the next back, you know, the next back up. And really only circumstances that have put Kareem Hunt where he is would land him in Cleveland. It's an embarrassment of riches that has probably not been seen in NFL backfields and hasn't been seen definitely in the past 10, 15 years. The last time two running backs have ran for – a thousand yards was 2009 teammates, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart of the Carolina Panthers. So that led me down a rabbit hole of researching trends of teams that with success in rushing the ball, leading the league in rushing or finishing the top 10 and cor correlating that with first year head coaches that burst a story that published on cleveland.com a month ago, but essentially the research found that since 2015, Nearly 70% of head coaches hired. There were 35 new hires. Those coaches who finished in the top 10 in rushing compiled a 500 record or better. Well, they should run so Kevin Stefanski doesn't get fired after a year. Can you go back and tell Freddie this? Yeah, hey, the data was all right there for, for, for Coach Kittens, but he became enamored with the passing game of Odell Beckham Jr. and what Baker Mayfield could be. And now – what I find fascinating about this topic is how it connects both what we were talking about in August and what this piece, this piece highlighted and what we saw Thursday night. Clearly Kevin Stefanski's game plan is to, and the way this Browns team will find success is taking the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands and putting it into Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. It's exactly what they did Thursday and it's why they found success. And I, we, we can keep rolling with this, but, First, Doug, I, I can tell you're just itching to, to, to fire away at me here. So, so go for it, and I'll keep going through the piece as we, as we unpack here. It's going to bode well for the podcast if you guys can recognize. Because we do have video. We can see each other. If you can see me itching, I'll try to I, – I get, I get a little uh, – itchy. Because um, on the other, pod, the other podcast, man, I, I talk like 80% of the time. I don't let those guys talk about it. <laughs> no. So the, the thing here – it felt like in week one, and Kevin Stefanski said this afterward, that they were there with the Ravens. They kind of had that sequence where Odell dropped the ball on third down. They missed the field goal. It got away from them. And then the offense got away from Kevin Stefanski, and they stopped doing what they wanted to do. And that they just started throwing because they were down. And I mean, I mean, teams across the league do that. Do you feel like that what they showed against Cincinnati, like that just will be what they want to be and as long as they don't let a game get away from them and feel like they get in a we get, we got to throw situation, like if you're a Browns fan, lock that Thursday night game in your brain, and that is what is going to happen. Yeah, that's 100% it, Doug. And not just because of this situation, these two running backs, and the fact that Kevin Stefanski's in Cleveland. Stefanski showed that this is what he's about, and he showed that last year in Minnesota. In that piece that published you know, six weeks ago now, I wrote that uh, in Minnesota last year, Kevin Stefanski averaged 60 and a half, 61, 60 plays, whatever you want to split it, plays per game in Minnesota. They ran the ball 476 times, which was the fourth most. So on average, that's about a 30 – 30 carries per game dedicated to there. It was a focal point of Dalvin Cook, but he doesn't need to do that in Cleveland. It can be a more even Chubb and Cream Hunt split. And in Minnesota, it was taking the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands, who definitely showed Sunday what his limitations are when everything isn't perfect around him, throwing three interceptions to the Indianapolis Colts, 
who the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the week prior, but that's probably for our picks. Let's, let's limit our Kirk Cousins discussion on here. That guy sucks. That's just like slide past right. <laughs> a lot of, I know. A lot of my people in Minnesota agree with that, Doug. A lot of it people hurts say, my yeah. heart every time. Like people, every time Baker Mayfield gets compared to Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, it just it takes a little piece of my soul. Well, that that might be where this is headed because Kevin's fancy knew in Minnesota that the Vikings' best chances of winning was when Kirk threw less, and that's exactly what he tried to do Thursday night with Baker Mayfield and the Browns against the Bengals. And Baker still almost gave the game away throwing that interception. On the, Everybody the, the, makes uh, mistakes. Yeah, we, we clearly have, a, have, a, have another subject to get into uh, <laughs> on a future podcast. But yeah. uh, th- that very s- simply to answer your question, Doug, and then Scott, you can feel free to jump in. But that is what, how Kevin Stefanski wants this op- offense to look. And not only wants, it is how it will be ran. And why the problems on this defense – connect and relate so much to the offense because if this offense is playing from behind it completely throws Kevin Stefanski's game plan out the window so as we talked about in the first segment them cleaning up their tight end and slot coverage issues is a must in order for Kevin Stefanski to maximize his offensive game plan because when Baker's got to throw it 30 35 40 times this offense will not be efficient due to the limitations of its quarterback. Scott, I want him to chuck it around. Back me up here. The heck with Ellis. Chuck it, baby. What do you think? Do you think it's – I mean, the, the backs are good, but I guess it's just how, how hard do you lean in to this obvious strength of the team? Oh, you lean into it. I think and, – and that's what I think most people would have expected from Stefanski. There were three teams that ran the ball more than they passed the last year, and the Vikings were one of them. Titans almost got there, but it was the, the Niners, the, the Ravens, and, and the Vikings. And – Thursday night is, is the kind of the kind of percentage you want. He, they ran 35 times. They threw 23. They had to pass 39 times against the Ravens. I mean, after, after they went down, what, 31 to 6, I mean, all bets were off, and it was just, you know, let's see if we can throw our way back into this. But, yeah, I think you have two of the most dynamic running backs in the league. You know, everybody hears about wins above replacement and, and, and you know, trying to be better than the guy who's coming in behind you. The, the Browns are in this position where the guy coming in next is just as good as the first guy. So uh, they're in a, in a unique position to not only have two really good running backs, but also keep them fresh. You don't have to do what the, the Vikings did with Delvin Cook. You don't need to have as many carries for, for a Nick Chubb. You can have a little over, little over average, and, uh, and you're still fine. You're keeping everybody healthy, and, and you're getting a lot of production. Yeah, Scott, let me, let me build off that point real quickly here because I love what you said about how the Browns are going to maximize these two running backs rather than run one into the ground. Nick Chubb having, you know, 18, between 18 and 25 carries just seems unnecessary for me. I know he got up towards that um, versus the Bengals, and I wonder if they're going to try to balance it out more going forward because that is actually where this offense needs to and can keep unlocking and discover new nuances about itself because there's nothing there's been nothing like this in NFL history I'm going to run down some of these coaches the past five years these first year head coaches who have uh, finished top 10 in rushing attempts and just notice the names of these running backs and they don't compare to what Kevin Stefanski is using here in Cleveland Um, in 2018 Matt Nagy went 12 and 4 with the Chicago Bears won the NFC North they finished seventh in rushing attempts and had Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen um, in that same year, Mike Vrabel finished nine and seven, finishing ninth in rushing attempts. And that's a running attack centered around Derrick Henry as the AFC saw last year. Um, in 2017, you think of the, the Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay centered around Todd Gurley. Uh, they ran it the ninth most times, 454 attempts. Um, and then Sean McDermott was able to build an attack around what would have been probably what Frank Gore that time in 2017, if my memory serves me correctly there. Uh, And then the Jaguars also went 11 and five in 2017, finishing fifth in rushing attempts. And that was a Leonard Fournette centered attack. So these, these first year coaches have proven that they can find success chasing a league rushing attempt title, but they did so with only one feature back or, you know, in Chicago's case, a complimentary of Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. Kevin Spancy has two running backs that are every down backs. 
This has not been seen in NFL history. And I think each week they can build upon what they did the week before by sprinkling in these backs even more rather than trying to use Chubb as the focal back in hunting complimentary, getting these guys 15 rushing attempts minimum each would make this offense look unlike anything the league's seen before. So through two games, Chubb 32 carries, Hunt 23 carries. And I was very curious. I've been very curious all preseason. And we were talking, I think we've all talked to uh, Kareem Hunt's agent, Dan Lobby, about this and how Kareem Hunt would be used. According to the PFF snap counts, uh, 32 of his 36 snaps in week one, he was in the backfield. 19 of his 20 snaps in week two, he was in the backfield. So the idea that like Kareem Hunt is the third receiver, he's not the third receiver. He's the co-tailback with Nick Chubb. Scott, I, the, Ellis is making a case here and there's what you want to do and there's what the personnel you have that would lead you to do. And the case that Ellis is making is that they're converging here. This is exactly what this coach wants to do. Is this how you would use Kareem Hunt, Scott? That this, I mean, again, how much time do we spend on Kareem Hunt's the third receiver in the preseason? He's not. Kaderil Hodge is the third receiver. He's just a tailback. Is this the best way to use Kareem Hunt? For the record, I, I was never part of the uh, Kareem Hunt is the third receiver bandwagon. Uh, I, I believe it was just, other people. That's that all is, Dan Labby. That is good podcasting right there. <laughs> Whenever you're right, remind people of it. Again, right. I've been doing this a long time. Remind people when you're right and make everybody forget about it when you're wrong. So, Scott, hey, man, you were all over this from the start, brother. Exactly. Um, no, I think you're using Kareem, Kareem Hunt correctly. I mean, like Ellis pointed out, he was – the rookie year, he was a rushing champ. You know, he wasn't the catching passes out of the backfield champ. He was the rushing champ, and he can clearly do this. And there's a good argument to be made that he's the guy who should be getting the ball at the goal line. Nick Chubb really hasn't figured that out yet. Uh, he's largely been uh, in the boomer bust category in a lot of ways. You know, we all remember the big runs from Nick Chubb, but when it comes to gaining one or two yards, he's had some issues. Um, so Kareem Hunt uh, has been able to get that done. So I – it's fine using both of them the way they, the way they have. And I just think it's smart to keep rotating them. I think, I think Ellis even alluded to this, maybe a, a little less Nick Chubb, a little more cream hunts kind of even things out. I think hunt their Chubb's on pace for like almost 260, almost 260 carries this year. He had 298 last year. I didn't think he would come anywhere close to that this year with, because they'd have, you know, Kareem hunt for a whole season, but, um, you know, you have games where, where it's working and nobody can stop you, then I guess, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rack up the carries. I mean, the Bengals clearly cannot stop the run game, so, so that worked for them this week. Yeah, Scott, I was really, really intrigued and a little worried about their carry discrepancy in week two. 22 carries for Nick Chubb, only 10 for Kareem Hunt, but there's Kareem Hunt with an 8.6-yard per carry average. I mean – I haven't covered high school football in a few years now, but that's a high school <laughs> average. You know, that's, that's a, that's a big time college football team beating up on a week one opponent average. Um, so I, these next few weeks will be telling if, if, if cream hunt is sitting between 12 and 13 carries and Chubb stays between 18 and 23, I'm going to be really surprised. Like you said, because I think the NFL, if it showed anything this week, it showed us that no one is safe especially with this shortened off season, it's exactly what JC Treader was fighting for. No matter how much you prepare, injuries are going to happen when you're getting up to football speed in a faster time period. Saquon Barkley out, Christian McCaffrey, high ankle sprain is going to miss some time. Um, the Niners are dealing with injuries everywhere. So for people that both want to see Nick Chubb be the workhorse or want to see Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the field at the same time, I caution that because Kareem Hunt is the ultimate insurance policy. Having them on the field at the same time limits your backup opportunities if there is an injury. And putting Nick Chubb in the game for 20 carries each outing obviously increases his injury likelihood. Just like Nick Harris was never competing for the starting guard spot, he's the insurance policy at center. The, 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 let the Browns' defense, defensive injuries and lack of depth show you that having depth on offense is a – win in itself and they, all the talent doesn't need to be on the field at the same exact time can i ask a diabolical question this is not how they're actually thinking but 
one of these guys just got signed for a couple of years. And one of these guys is waiting for a big payday. And the guy who's signed is signed. So he could run for 8,000 yards this year and he's signed. Actually, if he ran for 8,000 yards, he'd hold out and demand a renegotiation. But, but still, is there anything like, you know, I mean, if you were the Browns, not that Andrew Barry's coming down and telling Kevin Stefanski what to do. He's not Ray Farmering this situation, but what, does it make sense to like make sure you feed Kareem Hunt? Because if Nick Chubb stays fresh, great for the Browns. If Nick Chubb runs for 1,200 yards instead of 1,900 yards, when they get to the negotiating table in the offseason, not so bad for the Browns either. Not that you're going to do anything to, to lessen your chances of winning, but if this increases your chances of winning and also possibly lowers the price tag slightly on your great young back, that's a win-win. Now, the other thing is, at what point will Nick Chubb be like, yo, I'm trying to get Dalvin Cook. Who's the other guy who signed this offseason? Alvin Kamara money. I'm not so into this whole timeshare at running back. Now, I mean, Nick Chubb seems like the greatest guy in the world and would never say that, but people used to think that about Kawhi too, right? I mean, he's quiet. He's a team first guy. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why I'm not saying. I, who doesn't love Nick Chubb? Scott, what – I mean, I want to – Ellis is presenting a great argument. Let's blow it up and talk about what it means at the negotiating table. Yeah, that's one of the big uh, questions we had prior to this season, who by the end of the year was going to be more important to this offense, Hunt or Chubb. And it's – I mean, it, it's hard to tell at this point but because they're using them pretty much at an even pace. So, man, when you get to the negotiating table, I can't see – just knowing what I know about Nick Chubb, he isn't a guy who is going to want big money that he, he doesn't seem like a guy who's going to demand to reset the market. But again, I don't know him personally, just from what the way he carries himself, what we know about Nick Chubb, he doesn't seem like that guy. I think the argument for the Browns there is, Hey, look, yeah, you might not get reset the market with this contract, but your career is going to be longer because we also have Kareem Hunt, and we're not pounding you into the ground so much. Ellis, let's make you the coach now. We're assigning different job titles to people. Okay. What is your ideal split on rushing attempts year-long for these guys? Would you prefer that Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb end up with the exact same number of carries? Is it 60-40 one way? Is it 65-35? Like, how do you think this works out best? Again, as we said – so far, it's Nick Chubb, 32, Kareem Hunt, 23. It's a great question, Doug. I, in, a, in, a, in a simulation in Madden, what, what I always go back to, 15 a game for each is, is the perfect scenario. But that's not how football is played. So to answer your question, I want to see Kevin Stefanski use these two running backs where they're best needed and fit. And I know that may sound like a capo, but just bear with me here. Scott brought up such a good point, and – this was brought to my attention early when I was going to Browns games last year. Nick Chubb isn't, should not be this team's short yardage or goal line back. Kareem Hunt is far more efficient and con in converting those types of carries than Nick Chubb has proven so far. So where I'm going with that is, and what I mean by this team can unlock so much more with these two running backs is by using them in the exact right moments. Perhaps you keep Nick Chubb on the field on a third and eight or a fourth and five and use him in the passing game because teams won't expect him to go and catch a pass when really they haven't been watching enough tape because let's face it, I know these NFL teams are on top of all of this, but when you're picking your poison on a Browns fourth and four, Nick Chubb's just not going to be a priority coming out of the backfield yet. Nick Chubb has proven that he's a sure-handed catcher in this league. I don't think he needs to show that anymore. If anything, the Browns need to put him in more scenarios for him to catch the ball so that narrative starts changing. So you can surprise teams near the middle of the field between the 20s with Nick Chubb in the passing game and then bring in Kareem Hunt near the goal line, and now you're running it when teams think you can pass. They need to become experts of their own personnel, and I think they're headed that way because when you put on the tape, of these two, it, it doesn't lie. And I'll wrap up with this now putting, shifting back to my GM hat that you gifted me on the first segment. When it comes to paying these guys, Nick Chubb is in a really nice situation for two reasons. Three, I'll say. 
first timing for a big running back contract might just work out for him in Cleveland. Uh, the Browns have a lot of cap space. They're good at managing it. And so far the jury's out on if Baker Mayfield's getting any of this big quarterback money. So if the Browns are looking around and don't have a quarterback to pay, they can pull a chiefs like with a Sammy Watkins or a Chris Jones and go ahead and pay their top guys now that they deserve it. So they might just pay Nick Chubb because they can and the circumstances require it. So Secondly, with that, the tape doesn't lie on Nick Chubb in the fact that you're not going to find another Nick Chubb out there. He is not a replacement-level running back. The way he runs, that doesn't show up on, in the box score unless you know his average is through the roof. But even on his bad games, you are going to look at him and see, oh, see, you can replace that runner. Watch the tape. You can't replace what Nick Chubb does. And thirdly, it is – look at a guy like Frank Gore – who is now going on 37 and started a game for the New York Jets. That's the type of trajectory I see for Nick Chubb. You know, now I know I'm putting him on the fifth all time in the NFL leading rushers category, but I'm just saying a guy who's going to be in this league for a long time. So getting paid shouldn't be a concern to Nick Chubb and figuring out how to maximize Chubb and hunt and using them in more surprising scenarios should now become Kevin Stefanski's top priority. I feel like you're building a Browns offense that is based around Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and Case Keenum, and I'm not sure I'm here for it, Ellis. I can, I can, see, I can see where this podcast is going. Hey, listeners, you're going to have to keep listening to find out. You're going to have to keep listening to find out. That might be where we're headed, Doug. You never know. I don't know. I don't think we'll do that in week two. Ellis Williams, Ellis, what's your dive, deep dive in our second podcast? Bench Baker. You're not coming in that hot. <laughs> You're not coming in that hot. Well, we're just joking. We're not, we're not, I don't really mean that. So one of the things that I, that I do think we, we want to talk about, our boss, Dave Campbell, brought this up. There is this, obviously, we know the quarterback run is, is working into uh, more offenses in the NFL. Through two weeks, for example, the leading uh, rushing attempts by quarterbacks, and we know a lot of those, some of those are planned runs, some of them aren't. Cam Newton has 23, Lamar Jackson 17, Josh Allen 13, Kyler Murray 11, Jared Goff and Joe Burrow, seven each. So they're the leading five. There's really four guys who are really going to use their legs. Newton, Jackson, Allen, and Murray. Baker's not going to do that. Baker has three rushing attempts in two games. When you have a quarterback who's running 10 times times a game, that's like eating up plays that could have gone to your running back. Baker's not eating those up. So maybe in a place like, you know, well, actually, in Baltimore, they are rotating backs. They're rotating Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. They're kind of splitting that the way that, you know, Hunt and Chubb are doing it. But that's just like it eats up plays. And I'm not saying it eats it up bad, but it's just like how you go about things offensively. Baker's not going to eat up run plays. So that means there, there are – I mean, does that mean it's a little more likely? If Baker Mayfield were Kyler Murray, if Baker Mayfield were Lamar Jackson, would it make it harder – to keep Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt happy. But the fact that Baker's legs aren't a big deal. Scott, does that make it a little more likely that, yeah, let's pound these two tailbacks and everything will be great? You're asking, is it better for the Browns if they had Lamar Jackson, a quarterback? Is that the, am I, am I paraphrasing here correctly? I, I can't figure out. I mean, again, there's just, I get lost sometimes. Too much offensive talent on the Browns. You're just moving people <laughs> in and out. They could have had, you know, they could have had Mahomes. They could have had Deshaun. They could have had Lamar. They have Baker, but yes, if, if they had a running quarterback, would it change the tailback calculus at all? Well, yeah, but the Browns do have other alternatives here too. You have Andy Janovich, who, by the way, was on the field for nine snaps in week one after, you know, a whole off season of us expecting him to be a big part of this running game that got bumped up to, I believe 22 against the Bengals. Yeah. I don't believe he had a carry, uh, but that's an Are you option. advocating for fullback carries? Is that how we – is that where we are at this point? I'm advocating for the kinds of things that we expected to see from this offense. You know, Ellis said something on, on the Daily Pod, I think it was after the Ravens game, about how the Ravens really didn't have to show anything. I came away from the Ravens game looking at the Browns thinking, wow, that was really vanilla. I wonder if Stefanski was like, let's just get through this game and then, you know, we'll go from there. And then even, even against the Bengals, I wouldn't say that – I didn't get the feeling that we saw everything. You know, where, where, are the, where are the tight end screens? Where's a screen at all? Delvin Cook, like, led the league in screens of 15 yards or more. Browns, I don't believe, have run a screen pass. We saw fullbacks going out wide. We saw 
tight ends coming into the backfield and, and just all this different movement and people uh, moving around uh, in the formation to create mismatches. We haven't really seen that yet from Stefanski's offense. We've seen, you know, Nick Chubb go out wide a couple of times or Kareem Hunt, but really it's been really vanilla. So maybe, <laughs> maybe Baker Mayfield running around right end is part of uh, what we have uh, coming at us in the next few weeks. I doubt it, but you know, there are, I think we're going to see more from this offense. We're going to see more people getting involved in the backfield. And maybe that is Andy Janovitz getting, getting some catches and, and, but really screen passes. My goodness, you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and, and, and linemen who are required to be mobile in this offense. Uh, I'm just kind of shocked. We haven't seen that in the first few games. So you're, you're saying you think it's possible that Stefanski is going to slow play it against the Ravens in the regular season in preparation for meeting them in the playoffs. Just like try to hold well, back a little go. bit. What if there is an AFC championship game? You don't want to give away the store, Kevin Ellis. Let's wrap up with this. I think maybe what you're coming around to is, it may or may not be expressed in do the Browns lead the league in rushing attempts or rushing yards, but your belief is the Browns should lean on their tailbacks to run the ball more than any team in the NFL. Yeah, it has to be the center point of the offense. It's, they're two best players, and it's where their strengths are built. Not only are the talents Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt, but you also invest in the highest paid tackle in the free agent market in Jack Conklin. You rework Chris Hubbard's contract. And again, the genius of that needs to be spoken to because if you don't have Chris Hubbard and let's say you're plugging in, I don't know, remember Greg Robinson, perhaps the Bengals game goes a little differently. You can tell Kevin Stefanski has such a priority on linemen that he can trust. Same with drafting Nick Harris as high as they did, or at least finding the value there. You need, he needs to be able to trust the players he plugs in, not just as physical talents, but people who can handle his game plan and his, his concepts, his schemes. So leaning into the running game not only puts the ball in your two best players' hands, but it also backs up what you built up front in Conklin, re-signing Hubbard, building on Petonio and Treader, then, of course, your number 10 overall pick in Jedrick Wills. That's the formula for this team to win. And, Scott, I love that you're talking about the way – this offense can grow because I think if we started this podcast on a negative note, we can end it on this positive one. That's the, this offense focused around Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, the running game and the marriage of the running and passing game, as he so said coming into Cleveland is just at the surface level of what they can be. There's so much that the Kevin fancy hasn't shown first, probably because they haven't had time to install it and he doesn't like what you see in practice. So it's not clean enough to put on the field. And secondly, because you're right, Doug, he's waiting until Monday night football to come out and stomp the Ravens so he can become ESPN's darling, the 37, 38-year-old little salt and pepper. Kevin Stefanski's posted all over ESPN beating the Ravens. That's what he's saving the screen game for. It's got to be it, right? 3D chess. 3D chess, man. Come on. Kevin Stefanski. All right. That was Ellis Williams' deep dive into the Browns running game. We will be back after another quick break and we'll get you guys out of here with a couple things we might be thinking about for next time on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, back on Gotta Watch the Tape, man. I like this. I think I, uh, this might be pretty good. We might have to do this five days a week, guys. What do you think? Can you start crunching numbers and film? I mean, if you just if you put it like a 17-hour workday, five days a week, we'll be fine. Uh, I think we'll keep it twice a week. But, but this is what we want to be able to do for you guys. We want to be able to have Scott and Ellis go deep on a subject that really matters to the Browns. So what might we think about next time? Scott, we'll start with you. Maybe this will be on the next pod. We'll have another pod this week before the, the game against the Washington football team. Should be out Thursday or Friday. Scott, what's something on your mind right now? You know, we talked a lot about the running game. We didn't really get into the offensive line uh, much. But how about Wyatt Teller? If you want to go by pro football focus grades, this guy is your starting right guard uh, in the Pro Bowl, if they have a Pro Bowl this year. 91.2 offensive grade, 91.6 as a run blocker. He hadn't graded above 55 in his two seasons prior to this year. We talk about how this offense was supposed to make Baker Mayfield better. It clearly made Wyatt Teller better. They averaged 3.9 yards. For carry running behind right guard last year, it's 8.4 this year. White Teller is a, a big reason why this run game is, is succeeding, uh, and he just seems to be a perfect fit for, for Stefanski's run game. Everything we thought Austin Corbett might be and never was. 
I'm interested in what's going to happen with that sort of that nickel corner spot. I mean, Tavier Thomas, again, in forced in by injury. But Kevin Johnson is back. Again, on Monday, he said his lacerated liver is fine. He's good to go. Um, I, I just – I am curious how much – this is what we sort of talked about, how much of the secondary issues and covering some guys in the middle field are attributable to injuries and how much are things that are going to hang around. But I think getting – getting Thomas off the field on, on snaps that matter is going to go a long way. Ellis, what are you thinking about? By Thursday, listeners of this podcast and Browns fans will have a definitive answer from me on what to expect from Odell Beckham Jr. in a Cleveland Browns jersey in 2020. I'm going to go in, I'm going to watch the tape, and I'm going to come out with a, a theory and data to back up what Odell's season in Cleveland will actually look like, and I think it's going to – temper expectations and paint a, a clear picture of what Beckham brings to this offense and how to maximize them. Great. So tune in next time for Ellis to rip OBJ. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Way to have your finger on the pulse, Ellis. Hey, listen, man, you got to do what the tape tells you. I'll pander. I will pander the Browns audience. I picked him to go 12 and four last year. Scott will pander 13 and three last year. I like being on a podcast with someone who is more wrong than me. But listen, <laughs> Scott and Ellis are going to go by what the numbers and what the tape tells them. And we're going to dive in twice a week about what matters to you about the Browns. So thanks to everybody who gave this a shot. Make sure you get subscribed to that Orange and Brown Talk feed so it shows up right in your phone. Like you're just scrolling through your phone. You're looking at pictures of your dog, right? It's like, hey, look, here comes Scott, Ellis, and Doug. Who wouldn't want that? Do that. We appreciate you guys. Make sure you're reading everything at cleveland.com slash Browns. Great, fantastic stuff going on there. And come back and see us next time. That was our debut episode. So for Scott Pasco and Ellis Williams, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.